0: For Memorial Day, get 15% off your borough purchase at burrowcom acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrowcom acast. I am a Park Service Sidewinder, and I have stories to share. This has taken me the better part of a month to work up the courage to tell the tales I have experienced. I've bounced around some, lurked here, and shared other stories from my past. But these... well they were always off limits. It wasn't that I didn't want to tell them, but rather a fear that men in white coats will suddenly take me away to a nice padded cell. Thing is, from what I know, well I'm not the only one that's had strange happenings in their time with the service. So first things first, you're probably wondering what a Sidewinder is. Officially, we're members of a rather elite group of search and rescue officers who specialize in desert searches. Note that I said searches, and not rescue. Each and every one of us, collectively called sidewinders from our ability to survive in the most hostile desert conditions, are trained in everything from tracking and first aid, to survival and recovery. Typically, they only call us in on the worst cases. Someone goes missing in one of the many desert areas in the west, and after the massive search fails, we go in to recover the body, or bodies. Truth be known, we don't usually find bodies, just bones or a few identifying items. We're also rather unique among SNR, since we tend to work alone. There's always a lot of desert to cover, and it's just more cost-effective to send in one maybe two sidewinders in to track missing persons. In my time, I've recovered something around 50 people, and only rescued one. The desert is a rather harsh place, but that kinda goes without saying. In training, they teach us that after three days in the desert, the chances of a person surviving drops exponentially. After five days, there's no hope, and it becomes a recovery. Granted, that's when you're not talking about a missing sidewinder. I remember during training, our training officer related a story about one sidewinder who had gone missing during a recovery. Almost a month later, that guy wandered into a park service office. He was skin and bones, but alive. The service had long given up on him, and his family had largely moved on. Yet here this guy was, a walking bag of bones, coming out of a hell that you can't imagine. All told, the guy had walked almost 300 miles from where he started out, to where he ended. Dude still with the service too, in case you wondered. I won't go into detail about the training, but suffice it to say that it's the hardest training you'll ever experience. 200 SNR guys sign up for the training every year, and typically only two or three actually survive the process most simply decide that they can't do it, though there are other reasons they drop out. The doors always seem to claim one, every training rotation. Doors. If you had told me three years ago that a simple door would be the object of terror, I would have laughed in your face. They're probably the strangest thing you'll in the high desert. Middle of nowhere, no roads or trails for miles, and there will be this door standing there upright. It's never the same kind of door either, I've seen house doors, a couple metal ones, and at least one cheap trailer door. These doors, they're creepy to say the least, but it's the fact that they move that really gets to you. I remember one recovery in particular that I was followed by one of these doors. That one started with a simple hiking incident. A couple had decided to hike out into the desert, camp overnight, and then hike back. When they didn't show at their works the next Monday, family called the park service. The S&R guys searched a good 50-mile square area of desert for them, but didn't turn anything up. So, rather reluctantly, they called me in. Calling in the Sidewinders was seen as admitting defeat. Even the police give us a wide berth. I packed up, took enough food for a two-week trip. M-rays are handy in that regard, and enough water to pack in and out. With that, I hiked into the desert to follow their steps and try to retrace where they may have gone, and hopefully find this pair. Their trail was pretty easy to follow for the first few hours, before it turned off the established path, and cut out across the sandpan. Their tracks showed that they were walking side by side then and continued on for upwards of five miles like that before I found something that sent chills up my spine. The tracks suddenly turned to the left, and seemed to circle around a point up on one of the dunes. There was no reason for them to do that though, at least nothing visible. From then on, the path continued back down and headed almost directly away from that spot. The tracks continued on, before coming to a stop in the lee of a dune. They had simply evaporated however i knew that they couldn't have gone too far if they made the same time i had then they likely would have reached that point about the same time i did thinking like the hikers i decided that i'd be looking for shelter a short distance away as i picked my way through scrub and around some rocks i came to a good camping site located in the shade of a large rock wall with a nice overhang I spread out my bedroll, and then set to getting something to eat. I think it was then that I first noticed the door. Now you need to keep in mind, by that point I'd stumbled over several of those before. This one seemed different though. It was located a short distance away, just down from where I sat. I knew well enough to steer clear of them, as they were bad news, but I have to admit I was curious. I suppose that's what prompted me to become a sidewinder in the first place, looking at things in retrospect. Curiosity, going where no living man or woman has gone, and exploring what lay out there. The door was this large house front door, painted a bright red, so bright that it seemed to shine in the waning light. It stood there like the house it once occupied had long since fallen down and this chunk of wood had somehow managed to stay standing. Lifting my glass of water to it, I gave a light nod, as if saying to it, yes, I know you're there. I then ate and went to sleep. I rose with the dawn, packed up and kicked out my fire before heading on further. The door was gone. No surprise there, they tended to do that. I picked up the trail shortly after and found the remnants of a camp. From the looks of things, the couple had camped there for a day before leaving. Suddenly, everything was torn, there were signs of a struggle, or more likely a fight. Two sets of tracks headed off into the desert from there, each going a different direction. I surmised that they must have had an argument over something, and had wandered off to cool their heads. Problem was, I couldn't see any indication that they had returned, so that meant that they'd split up which is bad to do in the first place, and then something had happened. Most common killing cause out here is someone slipping into a crack in the ground, and just never getting out. Kinda like the guy down in Moab, but with no survival. I decided that I'd check the leftmost path first, as that one seemed to head down into the sand. The other went up over some rocks and headed down into a valley area. But tracking that would be a royal pain in the ass. And honestly I was here to tag and recover bodies. Whatever makes that job easier, is what wins. I followed that sandy trail a good 300 feet before it simply stopped. Not petered out, as often happens, not turned back on itself, no, it just stopped. Mid-step no less, turning around and checking my maps. I made note of this for an aerial search before turning around to walk back. Behind me, not 3 feet from the trail, and maybe 20 from where I stood, was that same red door. I stopped in my tracks there, pausing for a long time. Chills ran up my spine, and I broke out in a cold sweat. I probably stood there a good 10 minutes before I mustered up the courage to walk back the way I had came, I didn't even shoot a glance at the door then, opting to ignore it from that point forward. Leaving it in my wake, I continued on to follow the second track. That one continued deeper in the desert, and seemed to be heading in a particular direction. As if the person leaving it had known where they were going. Sadly nothing lay in that direction, at least not for a good hundred miles of hard scrub. Well, let me rephrase that. Nothing worth finding. There was that damn door. I'd see it every now and then, usually off the trail a short distance, sometimes even hidden up at the top of a bluff, that there was no way for it to be put up there in the first place. Always following me, always beckoning me closer. In the end, after a good week out on the search, I called it quits. I hiked back out, providing the S&R guys with the evidence I had found, and suggesting that they just write it off the desert had claimed two more, or maybe the doors had. It would be a good year and a half further on before there would be some closure to that story. While on a fire patrol outside Vegas, a park ranger saw smoke rising off in the distance. Driving that way, he eventually came to the source of the smoke. It was the remnants of a small brush fire that was quickly burning itself out. He was, reportedly, about ready to chalk it up to lightning, when he tripped over the bodies. The strange thing, he would later tell the authorities, is that the two looked like they just appeared from nowhere. Trails leading to where they lay were quickly found, but those trails just appeared out of thin air. An autopsy was performed, and it was discovered that they had died from exposure. They were identified by family as being the pair who I had been sent in after, though mysteries remained. For example, how had they, with no food or water, crossed a full 500 miles of open desert? Why were their clothes untouched by the weather, and strangest of all, how had they managed to keep their cellular phones at a full charge, with nothing to charge them with? I have many other stories to tell such as a town you won't find on any map, or the many ghosts that wander the sands, or the sheer number of planes that simply vanish in this area. When I have some time, I'll post those. Born and raised in Australia, I had been a ranger in the Northern Territory for almost two years. The job of a park ranger here is very different from what people out there might think. We're not worrying and talking about the same little cute red-coated individual who keeps an eye out for litter bugs, or make sure that people don't leave their garbage behind. We actually get off our butts and go into the woods, making sure nobody gets lost, hurt, or eaten by any of the dangerous animals indigenous to this area of the world. I've seen my fair share of Australian wildlife on the job, so I know from experience when something is not right about an animal encounter. It was a very hot summer night back in 2004, while patrolling the Kakadu National Park that I first encountered the Bruin Drawer. For those who are out of the loop, this is what it looked like. I had just finished patrolling around one particular area, and was getting ready to head back to my car, so I could drive to the next one. I heard a noise in the distance. At first, it started off as just little bits of noise, but the sound grew tremendously, so I finally took a look over my shoulder and saw this a huge bipedal animal about 20 feet in length, slowly walking through the brush with its high set tail swinging back and forth like a metronome. It had small nubby claws on its front legs and its front quarters were covered in dark red feathers merging down into black downy ones toward the end of its body. I thought to myself, dear god, what am I looking at? This animal looked like a living dinosaur from all the cryptozoology books I've ever read. The sighting did not last long, however, it quickly moved past me, and its tail was the last thing I saw going off into the bush. It left me in a state of shock for a long time after. I then did some research online to see if anybody else had reported seeing anything similar. Only a few other stories have resurfaced about a similar animal being spotted by others here in Australia. Additionally, earlier aboriginal accounts suggest that it is a reptilian animal of some kind, although I'm not exactly sure what it is. It looked prehistoric, that's for sure. I'm a park ranger or guide in Greater Kruger area. A while ago I was guiding student groups on a farm in Bowel Reserve. We stayed in an old farmhouse, some rooms were turned into dorm rooms. One day a staff member went to fetch some sand from a dry riverbed nearby he needed to make some cement. He came back saying he saw, tracks of an animal that he'd never seen. He had some of his colleagues have a look. They all said the same thing. So by now I'm intrigued and I go down to the riverbed to have a look. Sure enough, there they are. Like a buffalo, but not exactly the round shape you'd expect. Seemed like two pairs of buffalo tracks. Then I saw it. That's not two pairs, it's four pairs of an animal walking upright. Goosebumps all over. Hair on my neck standing straight up. I called the warden. He came with his new sniffer dog. That dog went to work, but it was obvious those strange animals knew we were on them. Out the reserve, over the railway line, back in the reserve, then again onto another farm, all the way to the horse stables at the edge of Hodesbrook town. That's where we caught the last one, hiding in the stables. But there were four in total. The one we got first broke a leg when jumping over the fence of the reserve. Two others try to hide under the railway line. Later we also found the rifle, which they had thrown away while running, A308 with a silencer. We also found bullets and a panga. Now we could charge them with something else than trespassing. They didn't make a victim, that time. But they are successful regularly. All our anti-poaching efforts are like mopping with a running tap. I think our rhino are on the way out. We try to fight the symptoms, but cannot fight the cause. And no one seems to care on the whole planet. For just a few species lion, rhino, elephant, pangolin no one puts political pressure on any country in the far east. my grandfather used to tell stories about doors but not really doors in the sense of a plank of wood that fills in a doorway more like artificial but not artificial arch or doorways so a bit of backstory my grandfather identified as lipan apache i don't know if this is just family oral tradition or tribal lore but him and my grandmother not native mexican-american used to live outside way outside technically on the outskirts of a small town on the outskirts of McAllen, Texas. their property was on the biggest hill in the middle of an old very old garbage dump. El Monte had already reclaimed it by the time I came along. The property had one tiny trailer home, no running water, a bath shed, and an outhouse. Growing up, my cousins and I had the option of exploring the wild area of the property. It was a desert Y area but more of a really dry grassland with more cactus than is really necessary. My grandfather used to warn us to stay away from doorways. Being like six, he knew he had to break it down for me, and my other younger cousins, so he broke it down as. If you see a branch leaning against a tree, that's a doorway, don't pass through it. If you see two branches standing but leaning against each other like this shape, don't pass under them, that's a doorway. I can't say that we easily let it go, but our Yulo was never afraid of anything, yet bringing up the doorways made him visibly uneasy. So we explored and found tarantulas, rattlers, some jackrabbit, a roadrunner, a deer and her fawn. Thankfully, no doorways. I didn't bring it up again until my Yulo was dying of lung cancer, tobacco is medicine. Yes, Yulo fine. But there's more than just tobacco in USA Gold Red 100s, that I asked about the doorways. He said that his father had told him about them, and his father had been educated by his grandmother my grandfather's great-grandmother, who was a medicine woman he called her a cura. He told me then that they were traps set up by wicked. Spirits to trick humans into entering the spirit realm, their other motivations unknown. He told me his father told him tales about children passing under these artificial archways, but not coming out the other side, and never being seen again. Honestly, that's what this post made me think of. But the spirits have changed it up, to be recognizable by the white man's mind, that's why I think it's not the same as he used to describe it, but it is the same forces. Maybe Yulo should have told us to avoid doors too. When I was a teen back in the early 2000s, I had a great fascination with werewolves. My uncle told me of this time when he and a friend were driving around Arlington, Ohio and a creature had walked in the middle of the road that looked like a big dog, and the back reached the hood of the car, but was longer and had more mass than any dog they had ever seen. He said then it leaped to the side of the road, and they drove off quickly. Now I at first called him a liar and said it was BS, but I went down to Florida two years ago and stayed with a cousin whose dad is one of my uncle's best friends. One night I was talking to him and I said, did my uncle ever tell you of the time that he and some friends were driving around Arlington? This is where he interrupted me instantly and said a werewolf jumped out in front of the car. Now my uncle had not talked to this person for over 5 years, and I had not mentioned anything about this to him before asking him. I was later told, by my dad's girlfriend who grew up around Arlington on a farm, that something happened to her when she was 10 years old. She said that her family were all eating supper one night, and they remembered that they had forgotten to feed the chickens that day, so they had to run out and do it after supper. Her dad told her and her younger brother to go out and feed them. They got out into the shed that the chickens were in and heard scratching and clawing at the side of the shed. They both froze on the spot, not moving a muscle. Her dad then walked to the back porch and turned the light on, and he yelled out to them. When I tell you to run, I want you to hold on to your brother and run for this door. Don't stop until you get to me. So they ran as fast as they could when her dad told them to run. When she reached the safety of the house, she asked him why he told them to run. He refused to tell her. So one day, when she was 16, her father told her what had happened. He had seen a shadow of something that reminded him of a bear on the barn by the shed. He said it was tall and slender and unlike any bear he had ever seen. That is all he told her. This happened in West Virginia about 10 years ago. I have done my best to stuff my memory of it deep down, but I accidentally watched a video on YouTube that basically re-traumatized me. What the presenter said really freaked me out and brought up this memory, and now I don't know WTF to do with it. She discussed dear gods and interdimensional being encounters. When I was 22 I went out hunting with my dad and uncle. We each had our own deer stand and blind in the private hunting ground that my uncle owned. About halfway through the morning hunt, there was this big buck that strode into my view, but he didn't look quite right. Not in a sick or mentally ill way. His eyes were more, human-like. The eyes looked like they contained a lot more intelligence. I put my gun to my eye to aim, and the buck stopped cold. I swear he was looking at me. He knew. Then when I took the shot, my trusty gun would not fire. In a scramble, I checked my gun. It was fine, but it wouldn't shoot. The deer just stood there and kept staring at me. Then, on my second check of the gun, I got a really weird and eerie feeling. When I looked back up, this thing was standing on its hind legs and staring at me. I froze. It started to charge, running on its hind legs, full speed, directly toward my stand. I left everything and fell about halfway down the ladder. I know I screwed up my ankle that day, and I didn't care. I was terrified. I could hear the footsteps running towards me, and I ran as fast as I could. Maybe like a fourth of the way to my dad's blind, I looked behind me because I was still hearing the footsteps right on my heels. But there was nothing there. The running steps chased me almost until I got to the blind. My dad thought I had been shot or something because of how I was behaving and breathing. He carried me to the truck, and when I calmed down he told me that he'd heard other similar stories in the area. I haven't gone into the woods or hunting since. That was 10 years ago, and until now, I haven't known WTF to do with my experience. I've been kind of watching and listening to paranormal shows since then, trying to make sense of it. Just last week, I watched that video on YouTube about deer, and their relation to death, gods, Fordian theories, and the like. Since watching that episode, I've been messed up thinking that I was trying to kill a deer god, and that's why the buck chased me. She had some great points, and a really interesting interdimensional theory. It might have put some pieces together for me. But should I go back to those woods and apologize? I'm paralyzed in fear to this day about it all, and I'm not trying to make enemies, especially with some wild god. What should I do? I live in the greater Baltimore area of Maryland, in a wooded area of Catonsville. I have experienced multiple phenomena that I cannot explain. These things I can only describe as cryptids. The creature that I saw was large and had wings. It was very late on a summer night, and I was 20 or so. I had just gotten into an argument with my girlfriend, and was sitting on my porch smoking a cigarette. In front of my porch was my short driveway that led to the street. This is a newer neighborhood and fairly well lit. I saw what can only be described as the silhouette of a large winged creature. The wingspan was at least 6 feet wide if not more. No torso, no wings in the true sense. It was almost like a shadow of a large crane's skeleton. I know that doesn't make sense, but that is how it appeared to me. The wings were but a thin projection like the bones of a bird's wings. There was no skin flap like in bats or feathers like a bird. The rest of the body was similar, more like the suggestion of a body in this shadow form. The way it moved was truly terrifying to me. There was an otherworldliness to how it moved. I am an avid outdoorsman. I have seen cranes, geese, swans, hawks, etc. Hundreds of times during hikes and camping trips. I have never seen an animal move in this way. It glided with a grace, a timelessness even that I don't think a physical animal could manage. I was horrified. I ran down my driveway, it had flown directly overhead towards the street, but I did not see it again. I called my girlfriend crying. I was absolutely terrified. Hello, I have a few short experiences to tell you about. This all started when I was about 12 years old and I am 19 now. My sister Zoe, father, stepmother at the time, and her two daughters, Jade who was my age and Maddie who's my sister's age, were camping. We had only been there for a day, and everything was fine. Then, my sisters and I decided to go to the stream by ourselves. My father gave us a walkie-talkie just so we could keep in contact while we were gone. The place we were going to was surrounded by bush, and to get there, you had to go down a little path through it. We spent a while with our shoes off, splashing in the water when Jade said she could see something standing amongst the trees. We all looked and saw a figure. It was black, but you could tell it was the shape of a man, and you couldn't see the face. We stared for a few seconds, and then it disappeared. We forgot about it and kept playing in the water, but I felt a little uneasy. A while later, we all looked back wanting to know if it was still there, and it was. Everything was silent, I could hardly hear the rapids in the little stream. We stopped looking after about 20 minutes, and we headed back to the campsite. The forest and all the noise around us were dead silent. My sisters lingered behind, and I was about 20 meters ahead of them, but we couldn't see each other. I heard a twig snap behind me and I turned to look, assuming that they had caught up to me. No, I turned to see the tall, dark black figure literally a foot behind me. So, I started running, the whole time feeling it close behind me. I ran as fast as I could until I was out in the open campground, and it was gone. My sisters came out not long after I did, and I told them what had happened. I asked, but none of them had seen it behind me, and they were too far behind anyway since the path was windy, so they were around a corner from me most of the time. Throughout our camping trip, we didn't see it around as much, but occasionally, we would just see this figure standing there, watching us. Fast forward a couple of years, and we went back there with my father's new girlfriend and her daughter Stella. I can't quite recall this trip as much, but I know for a fact that Stella saw it too. My husband, kid, and I live out in the middle of nowhere on a plot of land that's about 100 acres. I'd say probably 95 of those acres are wilderness with a TV and hiking trails that we, and several of the previous owners, created by exploring. We use that land for camping, hiking, and hunting. We like to find a spot, clear it a bit, and camp overnight. There's so much space we've never stayed in the same place twice. We've seen some kill sites, both old and fresh. Lots of animal tracks, places where deer bed down, etc. I've even spent a lot of time hiking solo while the kid is in school and husbands at work. Whether alone or with the family, we always carry a firearm for protection. A few weeks ago, we decided to load up our camping gear and start a new trail. We mark the trails we make with spray paint on trees. We were pretty far in the woods, having hiked almost an hour, when the atmosphere seemed to changed. I don't know who noticed it first, but my husband, who was leading the three of us, turned around and gave me a concerned look. The birds had stopped chirping, the insects were quiet. There were no sounds around us. When in the woods, complete quietness is rarely a good thing. We continued onward, hyper aware of our surrounds, while our kid continued merrily talking. We came to the stream that marks the midway point of our property. We stopped for a few minutes, my husband and I in a stare down with each other. We both felt something was off, but didn't want to scare our daughter. I finally broke the silence and said I suddenly didn't feel good, and that we should go home. My husband nodded in agreement while our daughter voiced her protest. Too bad kiddo. We turned around and started back. After going a few hundred yards, still in silent wilderness, I looked to my right and saw a person crouched down in a gill suit about 150 feet off our trail. I'm positive they saw that I noticed them, but they never moved. I cleared my throat to get my husband's attention, and when he looked back, I put my hand on the gun and the holster on my hip, which caused him to readjust his rifle in preparation of anything. I sped up my family, and we hurried back home. I told my husband as soon as we were inside. We decided to call the police and report the trepasser. Filed a report, and was told to call again if we saw anyone. A few days later, my husband and I went out alone, and set up a bunch of deer cams. We didn't go back out into the woods for maybe a week, then he and I ventured out to retrieve the cam footage. Out of the nine cams we placed, we caught a person in a ghillie suit and two images. We handed copies over to the cops to go with our report. We haven't gone back out since except to check the deer cams. Haven't gotten any other trespassers. It freaks me out even more to think of the few times, while camping that we heard walking near our tent in the middle of the night. We always assumed it was curious animals, but now I'm not so sure. Hiking way off trail in the Tetons, stopped for a breather, and then heard the sounds of something big. Walking through the fallen leaves, crash crash, like, clearly footfalls, sounded like something heavy, elk, or grizzly size. I could hear branches snapping when it stepped on fallen branches. But the thing was, I couldn't see it. There was nothing moving anywhere around me, and I had a pretty good line of sight all around. I just sat very still looking all around while it went crash crash, until finally it walked away. It was totally like there was an invisible, but very audible, LOL ghost walking around me. All I could think afterwards was that maybe there was a little gully club. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? we wondered the same thing. So we made ByHeart a better formula for formula. Learn more at ByHeart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag, say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands, And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. ...by that I hadn't seen, and it was walking in the gully. There were a lot of fallen trees, and though it looked like mostly level ground, The Tetons generally do have gullies and depressions. Maybe a couple of tree logs were hiding a gully, I don't know. I still tell people about the invisible elk that I met, lol. I was 13 years of age approximately, sometime during 2003. I was in my home and had fallen asleep in my bedroom on a night before attending school at Sophia Academy off of Mount Vernon Highway in Sandy Springs, Georgia during 6th grade. I woke up when my alarm went off as usual, and began to get into the shower as normal. I was pensive in thought, and had a hard time remembering my sleep as I was entering the shower. I stepped in and started showering and noticed a rough feeling underneath my left foot as I was washing my feet. I noticed a symmetrical pattern of dot-shaped puncture marks and a perfect circle similar to a picture I noticed online. At that moment, I instantly had flashbacks of what just occurred to me while I was asleep. At that point, I realized everything that happened to me included a violation of my personal space and a seemingly near-death experience. The marking under my foot was an indicator a sample of my blood may have been taken by these beings when I was awoken. There was a sharp stinging sensation right under my foot that woke me up. My vision was very blurry initially as I began to open my eyes and sit up to feel what it was that hurt my foot. As I was opening my eyes, I sat up on what appeared to be a large aluminum table to four large gray reptilian beings seven nine feet tall standing by the edge of the table by my feet. As I sat up, I noticed all of their eyes began to open wider, and their mouths began to open up and let out a horrifying sound. There was an extremely high-pitched shrieking sound, and they threw their hands up in the air, and were flailing backwards away from me as if they were going to fall over. I then got extremely tired and couldn't sit up very well so laid back down on the table to turn my head to the left. I remember just turning my head and praying to God saying God help me, Lord Jesus help me because I was terrified and didn't want those beings any closer to me and was afraid of getting devoured and or ripped apart. I just turned my head as I lay down and prayed to God to protect me and ask him to ransom me from this stressful situation. As I lay back down, I do not recall ever getting back up or waking back up until I found my alarm going off and started getting ready for school. It was right after I woke up, and I was in the shower that I noticed what had happened to me. My first job was for a local national forest. I would go out and clean trails, mow, paint buildings, outdoorsy stuff. We had several campsites that we had to check and make sure the trash was cleared. The bathrooms were clean and people weren't making drugs. We had one park that had a reputation as a meeting area for gay men small town Ohio in the 90s early 2000s. Well, one day we have to go and check out the site, and it was my turn for trash duty. I get out, take one bag to the truck and go to check the picnic area, and I see two men having sex. My 15-year-old brain exploded. They took off running and so did I. I just noped right out of there and told my coworkers the trash was empty. I wasn't hiking but I was biking. My friends and I were walking our bikes through a forest area. We were trying to get to another neighborhood that we knew of, and there was a shortcut through that particular forest. All of a sudden we heard the most horrifying low scream. I've heard foxes scream before, but this just sounded too low to be one. It sounded like a man that was just completely insane. The first time I ever went camping with my kids, it was at a Girl Scout camp in Southern Michigan about 5 years ago. We the Cub Scout troop were all camped in this flat clearing, on top of a hill overlooking the lake. To get to the bathrooms you had to walk down this big hill through the forest, and up another hill. I woke up at about 3-4 am, and had to pee really bad. I wasn't comfortable enough with the group yet to just go close-ish to the tent, so I decided to walk to the bathrooms. I was already nervous about the whole thing, but I was going to be a grown-up and just do it. About halfway there where the hill started going back up, I started feeling like something, not right, was nearby, and then suddenly I heard a noise off to the right of me that I still have no explanation for. It was like a loud, predatorial screech or scream, like something was hunting, and about to make a kill. I took about a one second pause, was like, nope, not today, and speed walked my way back to the tent. I woke my boy's dad up, and asked if he'd heard it, but he didn't, and just acted annoyed with me for waking him up. I felt insane, and like I'd just been making it up, until the next morning when another mom asked us, Did anyone else hear that loud noise in the woods last night at about 3am? I've lived in Michigan most of my life. This wasn't any of the normal, scary, wood screaming noises like a bobcat, owl, fox, a possum, etc. that we have here. The other mom was also someone that was big into the outdoors and camping, and she confirmed that this didn't sound like anything she'd ever heard of before either. There's probably a logical explanation for it, but whatever it was didn't feel right, and I've seen enough horror movies to know that I was holding that pee for the rest of the night lol. In the early 70s my father owned a 42-foot yacht for business. He would wine and dine business guests on Lake Michigan. Us kids were his crewmates and would tend to everything whenever VIP guests were on board. My earliest childhood memory is when we had the people from McDonald's on board. We were a few miles out, and and father told my brother and I to pick up anchor, and I remember the bloated body we hauled up caught on the anchor cable. I remember all the adults discussing what to do and consensus was to cut the cable and act like nothing happened. It was Chicago in the 70s best not get involved. I was at boy scout camp when younger. The land the camp is on is former Native American grounds. We were hiking and came across an Indian burial ground. I was very young and my friends and I had no clue what we had stumbled upon because, one. There was no uniformity to the placement of grave markers like a standard cemetery too. It was the literal middle of the woods surrounded by trees, and not near anything for over a mile. 3. The markers looked like old box TVS the kinds from the 80s and 90s. They didn't register as grave markers for a while to our brains. As I said my friends and I were young and dumb 12 or 13 and several of my friends played on them. Such as jumping from on top of one to another, I think another guy stopped to pee on one. After a few minutes a weird feeling hit all of us that were there at once. It was like we had become overcome with dread, fear and fright. It was like someone whispered into our brains to make us understand without words where we were and what we were doing all at once. We all looked at each other and ran through the woods back the way we came. It's probably just paranoia but I felt like something followed us back through the woods that day to make sure we were gone. I was out hiking in the woods when I was a teenager, and I stumbled across a single gravestone surrounded by a white picket fence. Apparently, it was a memorial to a coal miner who was lost in a mine collapse. The man and two others were trapped after the mine collapsed after several days, rescuers managed to get provisions to the two via a borehole, which kept them alive down there for two weeks, until they could be rescued by pulling them up through a tiny hole using a harness. The two survivors swore that the third man was not in the same area as they were when it collapsed, but rumors of them having cannibalized the third man followed them for the rest of their lives. If you are interested in reading more, look up the Shepton Mine Disaster. My aunt and sister and dad were visiting, and we were exploring at a nearby area. Not a secluded area, but had large areas of forest. It was at the edge of town and only a few abandoned buildings or sheds around. We saw old stone stairs just leading into the woods. They were really cool looking so we were taking pictures on them then went farther up on them because we were curious where they went and what they were they finally just ended all crumbled but there was a clearing there was one of those white crosses with old flowers and gifts decorating it like the ones people put on the side of the road when someone dies in an accident there was a girl's name carved into it my aunt in her 60s at the time A grounded person not a paranormal buff or anything kept saying, something terrible happened here, it is so awful. The rest of us guessed it must have been an accident from hiking or something. My aunt was really sad and kept saying how horrible she felt. When we got home I looked up the name on the internet, and it was a girl who was pregnant that was lured there by her boyfriend and viscously murdered. The article had said one of the most gruesome murders in the state. My aunt just said, I knew something terrible happened there, I could just feel it. When my sister looked back at the pictures we took on the stairs, there were multiple pictures with big orbs floating in them. My sister has a nice camera and takes pictures as a hobby so has taken many pictures with her camera and never had orbs before. None in any of the pictures before the stairs or any of the other days we were out taking pictures. They were very clearly there anywhere from golf ball size to cantaloupe size with clearly defined edges. They were like a milky white or gray color. It was daytime when they were taken. Lived in Southeast Michigan until I was 17. I frequently stayed with an aunt, who lived a few blocks away from a filthy river beneath some old train tracks. All of the local kids hung out there occasionally, but mainly pre-teens or early high school kids to do drugs, hook up, or practice shitty graffiti. There were also homeless people on occasion, but it became less common with so many kids using the area for themselves. Kids reported cars following them to the area or sitting in a nearby parking lot and watching them. But I had never heard of any sort of altercations or attempted kidnappings. Just downriver creeps. Late middle school or early high school, I would visit the river or tracks with friends. It is wooded, but lightly. The woods are filled with steep hills, so generally people did not venture into them. You could cut through the woods to get onto the train tracks or bridge but it was a pain in the ass, or most people opted to walk to the tracks via the street. Anyway, I was with two friends, trudging through the woods, so that we could hang out on the tracks or bridge, rather than by the water. I noticed a black plastic bag hanging from a branch on a tree. It had been tied closed. We just couldn't help ourselves and wanted to know what could be inside. We took two sticks to remove the bag from the tree it was very light. We used the sticks to tear a hole in the bag, then stretched or pulled it open. We found a pair of boys or youth underwear they were a plain grey or black, but too small to be men's covered in a dry, rust-colored substance. Whatever it was, we assumed blood, was all over the underwear. I don't remember any scent, but I recall how the underwear seemed so stiff from the blood, We were able to remove the underwear from the bag, and also found a small pocket knife, which also had the same substance on it, but was mostly clean. It freaked the three of us out of course. We were so spooked by this that we immediately decided, it was time to leave once we fully processed what we were seeing. We left the bag, underwear, and knife on the ground in the woods and went home. I was walking in a desolate wooded area near a friend's farm, looked up and saw a guy in full camp leaning against. Tree with a rifle. He was fully absorbed visually by the tree. He could have easily killed me, and no one would have found me for days except the coyotes. Stills creeps me out. On a pretty isolated island in a man-made lake in Georgia, about a mile long and roughly 200-300 feet wide, and completely covered in woods, I was walking around exploring when I fell into a hole in the earth that was completely invisible to the naked eye beneath layers of dry leaves. It had obviously been concealed for many years. It was 2004 when I literally stumbled into this and it looked like it had been hidden beneath seasons of dead leaves and dirt for over a decade. I grew up across the shore and knew that no one ever really visited this island, except for the multitude of wildlife that inhabited it. The hole was perfectly square in shape, about 4 feet by 4 feet, only about 6-7 feet deep, and empty except for a few pieces of trash inside of it mostly old glass soda bottles, beer bottles etc. That looked like they were from the 1970s. The dirt walls looked as if they had been packed purposefully. I'm only 5 foot 1, so I had some trouble climbing out. The WTF adrenaline panic rush I got helped me a bit. I think there may have been a couple of cinder blocks in there that someone probably used as a stepping block. A rotted wooden plank door that was just pulled over the hole covered it, and that's what I fell through. It looked like some kind of makeshift bunker. It could've been dug there by a deer hunter. The island had a decent white-tailed deer population. Maybe a bored kid did it. Who knows? But it is the creepiest thing I've ever found in the woods bought two kids bed frames off craigslist they were simple ikea frames the guy was a middle-aged dad seemed really nice also offered some wall art and said that his kids had just grown out of it onto other things a week later my eight-year-old daughter has a sore on her hand we had no idea what it was She started getting more sores, and we thought it was allergies. Put her through the ringer in terms of allergy testing etc. Really difficult for her. Sores get worse. Nothing is helping. We find bed bugs in the frame of the bed. They had infested her room. Guy sold us bed bug infested bed frames. Also threw in bed bug infested wall art for good measure. Thanks. A couple of months ago I put my car up for sale as I was moving away for university, and I couldn't afford it. Some guy contacts me asking if I can meet him at the local retail park. We agree a time and a place. I turn up, and he's already there just stood in the middle of the parking lot. My initial thoughts were that this guy was a bit weird, but hey, I need the money. I start showing him around the car when he stops me and says, it's fine, don't worry. This took me back a bit, but whatever. He then agrees on the price without negotiating at all, which I was pretty happy with. He starts telling me how he's buying it for his daughter or some shit. But surely you'd want to make sure the car was in decent condition, if you were buying someone a car. So I take the money and count it up, and it's all there then it gets even more strange i get the paperwork out to sign the car over to him and the guy tells me to fill in his details for him so obviously this is pretty odd so i ask him his name and how it's spelt to which he pulls a credit card out of his pocket and says that's me i take the money straight to the bank on the retail park and put it in my account and it was fine all real money no fake bills Here's the really weird part. I drove past the retail park about a month afterwards, and the car's still there. In the exact spot I parked it in. I was selling my Suzuki V-Strom DL1000 for $6500. It was low mileage, and I had a couple grand in accessories on it, so that was a smoking deal. Within an hour of posting the ad, I get the usual scam emails, I'll pay you 8k certified funds, deposit it, and send the balance to my shipper etc. Then I get an email from a guy about an hour away. He calls me and asks if I'll take 3 grand. Nope. Day later. How about 4? F right off, thanks. Still later. Okay, he says. I'll go no higher than $5,000 s, still no. Couple days later I get a serious buyer who pays the full price, shows up with cash, we do the deal, both happy. So now the bike is sold, title signed over, and the first guy shows up at my house. Keep in mind, I lived in a small, rural NH town, and I have no idea how he found me. He just pulled into my property, I see his car coming up the 75-yard driveway, so I put my CCW under my shirt, and go out on the porch. He says, I'm Jimmy. We spoke the other day, and I'm here to pick up the Suzuki, I've got cash. I tell him it's sold, and he goes bananas. We had a deal, no, we did not so please leave. I walked back into my house and locked the door but he stood there for 10 minutes screaming, until I yelled through the window that I was calling the cops. People are weird. I was selling my truck, and this guy maybe about 40 came by with his daughter like 15 and his buddy. I'm using my friendly banter to try and smooth out the deal. Dude decides to buy, and as he is counting out the cash, I'm chatting with the buddy and the daughter. Out of nowhere the buyer says, you sick bastard you don't think I see what you are doing. I thought he was joking so I say, ooh you caught me. I knew it. You have been hitting on my daughter this whole time you sick F. I should call the police on your pedophile ass. Absolutely shouting this in my driveway. Daddy no he is just being friendly. Oh you defending your new boyfriend, give me your phone, I bet his number is in there. Just batch it crazy, screaming in my driveway about how I was trying to F this high school girl, and how I'm a pervert. Literally nothing caused it. Dude stormed off to his buddy's car without completing the transaction. The buddy just looked at me slack jawed, and we exchanged this, holy shit did that just happen, look before he left worst part was i had neighbors outside who heard or saw the whole thing sold my couch on craigslist nice dark leather couch in great shape it was just taking up too much space in my place anyways a guy offers me 250 for it and i agreed i get to his house with the couch and it's a nice house I'm talking 1-2 million is my guesstimate in around a city where you can get a very decent 3 bed 2 bath home for 170k. I pull up and the guy walks out, big huge black guy ripped to the tits. He pays me 300 cash which I thanked him for. We carry it into his sort of garage looking thing, except at these automated glass door things on them that were open. He offers me a drink and points to this full side-by-side open glass cooler that's 6 feet tall full of maybe 50 different kinds of beers, lots of wines, a bunch of liquor etc. I'd normally say no, but he has rogue dead guy ale $3 beer at a discount alcohol retailer, and I really like it so I take one, and he has a lot of cool shit. We start bullshitting about sports and video games. Straight up says, hey, can I suck your D? Caught me really off guard. Keep in mind this guy is huge, like I'm not just worried about him messing me, I'm worried about him using me as a condom to F something bigger than me. I'm just like, nah I'm okay, I gotta get going. Come on man, let me suck that D. I'll make it an even 500 hundred for the couch. He sucked me off, paid me then asked me to leave. I was looking for a tow dolly to pull behind a work truck, and found a reasonable deal on CL. The lady says, I won't be there, but my sister will be, you can go tomorrow afternoon. I drive an hour up to Bum F., Wisconsin, meet the sister, approve of the tow dolly, and get my business checkbook out. Cash only. I'm sorry ma'am, your sister said nothing about that. I don't have cash with me. This is a business check, and I'd be happy to call my bank with you right now, so you can verify funds. Cash only, go into town and go to the bank. Ma'am, the bank in town isn't my bank, they won't cash my check. Cash only, I don't know what scam you're pulling. Have you ever even used Craigslist? you think you could get your sister on the line pay up or gtfo as i walk back to my truck shaking my head i muttered unbelievable what the f did you say to me so i drive into town where a buddy lives and tell him the story the seller calls me apologizes profusely and asks if i can wait two hours till she can get there i acquiesce i get there and the seller takes me back to hook the dolly up and take payment, when a redneck ex-biker with a mullet materializes with a gun demanding to know what the F I said to his wife earlier. I hightailed the F out of there very quickly. The seller was yelling her apologies as I drove away. I made note of their Confederate flag as I pulled out the driveway and reassessed my Craigslist purchasing habits. Put a TV up on Craigslist. It was a big sucker, so I was asking $600 S for it way more than it was worth. But whatever, people make offers. I get a guy who says he'll pay the full $600 S. Kick ass, I think. He then mentions that he will need it delivered, which I specifically mention in the ad will not happen. We argue back and forth for a while, then he seems to relent. We discuss features for a few more minutes, then he drops this line. When you drop it off, please bring $400 in cash. I only have a $1,000 bill. I was just stunned. When I looked up the address, it was in a really shady part of town, although I don't think anyone reading this will need that detail to figure out the game here. I just told him not to call again and hung up. He tried calling from different numbers with the same proposal making up voices. Then he tried getting I presume his girlfriend to call. With the exact same deal. Maybe he was trolling. Or maybe he actually thought it would work. I would have rather just smashed it. Not one horrible event, but a series of unfortunate events. I was living in a house with two other roommates. One roommate worked afternoon through night and wasn't around during the evenings, and the other had just gotten a dream job in another city and moved out. After he moved, he asked me to help with showing the place to potential sub-tenants from Craigslist, since he still had 6 plus months still on the lease. He would usually just text me with the info about the person to make sure I was okay with them basically trying to screen out anyone who seemed creepy, since I'm a female and arrange a time for me to be at the house to meet them. For months, I would have one to three days a week, where I would have to either leave work a little early or forego an evening activity to show the house. The problem? About 80% of the time, they wouldn't show up. I probably spent a total of 75 hours waiting on my couch for people that scheduled a time to stop by and never did, nor did they respond to any further emails or texts. It made me realize how crappy people can be, to just not give a rat's ass about wasting another person's time, or having the common courtesy to say, sorry I can't make it. Posted my car for sale on Craigslist. Got a call, decides he isn't interested, whatever no big deal. 2am I get a call from the same dude, and for some stupid reason I answer. He's just saying, I'm so sorry over and over, and when I'm like, what? I realize he's jerking the gherkin on the phone. Hung up. Called me three more times after that until I finally changed my number. Sold a game to a guy on Craigslist once, he was super nice. We met in a parking lot of a Toys R Us at around 9pm. Plenty of cars around still, cameras etc. I felt safe. After he gave me cash, he said. By the way, if you ever wanna hang out or play games or anything, hit me up. Just. You should know that I have a record. Me. Um. what?" yeah just look up the name x and spokane washington you'll see what i mean i honestly can't remember the guy's name this was six plus years ago i went home that night and looked him up sure enough the guy had been arrested by the fbi at like 16 years old for being part of a two-man money scheme involving isps and overseas investments or something And he and the other guy who was his partner overseas had swindled something like 50 million dollars out of thousands of people. Needless to say, I did not text him back after that. Late to the party, but I'll give my near-death experience with Craigslist here anyways. Back in high school, I was selling some stuff on Craigslist this guy hits me up looking to buy and the date he wanted to meet up didn't work with my work schedule so i told him i could later that week fast forward a couple of days i get off work and as soon as i'm off work i get a call from a blocked number which typically means police enforcement in my mind i answer and they say hi this is the kansas city police department and we noticed you had communication with x I don't remember his name. What is your relationship to him, and how do you know him? I answered saying, I don't know X, but I do believe that might have been a guy I was trying to do a Craigslist deal with. They respond saying, thank you, that is all. At the time it didn't really hit me, but after work I went over to a friend's house for dinner. As I walk in my friend's mom is watching the news, and she exclaims, did you hear what happened, they found a girl murdered, believed by a river. Minutes later on the screen, the news report states, the police have found the primary suspect of the murder to be the male ex, and is currently in police custody. Not long later the man was found guilty, I literally could have been that poor girl, but I am really thankful to this day that it wasn't me, really scary stuff. I was selling a fairly new couch and got a few offers, but one guy texted me, and said he could pick it up in an hour, so I decided to go with him. He shows up, and he looks like a gangbanger parody, in that his gangbanger look is so over the top you wonder if it could be real. Jeans sagging to his knees, white wife beater. Thug life tattooed in giant letters on his neck, chains, a grill, everything. He talks like a gangbanger from a movie, does that thing where he reaches for his nose after every 3 seconds, he has all the mannerisms. So I let him in, show him the couch, and his girlfriend comes in a few seconds later. She basically looks like the female equivalent of his over-the-top look. I'm sitting there showing them the couch, thinking how weird the situation is, when they start to have the most adorably mushy. New couple asked discussion about where the couch will go in their apartment, how it will mesh with their plants, and how he's really excited to put the coffee table in front of it, how they will have to keep the dog off it etc. They paid me, I helped them load it onto his car, and they thanked me profusely and drove away. That's it. No horror story. They were awesome people, and I learned a good lesson about not judging people on how they looked.